on episode 10 of the Bet the Process podcast, we'll be going through our normal futures segments where we're actually going to be talking a lot about a new system that Rufus is doing to try to model the committee's behavior and who they're going to select for the playoffs. Um, we're going to revisit our tout or sharp segment last week where we talk a little bit about some of the fallout from Dr. Bob. We're going to try to better our one and four performance on the super contest picks. And finally, we'll give you a survivor pick as always. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the best way for sports bettors to track their bets, see live odds, and get great, great gambling analysis. As Barstool Big Cat says, Sports Action is the best app for the sports better, and it's not even close. And it's available for free on the App Store and Google Play. And so with that, let's start the process. Welcome to episode 10 of the Bet the Process podcast, where myself and Rufus Peabody are two former ESPN predictive analytics experts talking sports betting, analytics, and hopefully uh, data-driven decision-making that will generally make you better at making decisions in and outside of the sports betting world. So as always, we start with this week in futures, and I want to talk a little bit about um, what has happened um, based on the sort of results of last week. And then we can kind of jump into some of the work that you're doing in, in uh, futures modeling. So in terms of, um, you know, one of the teams that we've talked about since the opening of this podcast, which is now 10 episodes um, in the making, was Ohio State. And I would guess that all the value in Ohio State is gone. Is that true? Uh, yeah, 100%. There's no value there. So what do you have them at right now, and what does the market have them at? So I have them at plus 429. The market is, I, I'm not actually sure what the market is. It looks like it's at plus 365. So it was plus 350 last week. Now, my number last week was actually plus 349, and my number using the same sort of methodology as last week would have been plus 388. But as you sort of alluded to, I've I've... Um, made some changes and some improvements on it. Uh, if you think I should get into that, I'll go for it. Wait, that's frightening. So you're making changes to your model mid-season. Well, well, the model isn't changing. The Massey Peabody model is not changing at all. What we're doing is refining the criteria for the college football playoff selection. So it's very we're modeling a human decision-making process of the playoff selection committee, which is, you know very difficult to do and and it's never going to be perfect or anything because humans are irrational and i know jeff you've told me that you think the whole idea of trying to model this is kind of crazy huh yeah i mean i i well here's where here's where it's interesting right you're modeling this for sort of like shits and giggles you're not going to make bets based on this right you you probably are not going to make any futures bets based on this so this is now like sort of like modeling for academic sake. Is that true? Well, I think both. I, I think it I think we are doing a better job than other the market. I, I truly believe that. And so if I do show good value, yes, I'll make bets based on it. And I have made bets based on it. 
However, I do think the, the fun part of it is definitely the academic part, I think, and trying to be able to predict what the committee is going to actually come out with next week, for example. Yeah. Well, so again, like I just, I think that there is, it's difficult to do because I think that there's inherent biases. And so like, if you are, if you had years of data and you knew that the um, committee was going to sort of act the same way each time. And this is just like the classic, isn't this like kind of like classic economics versus like behavioral economics where you're, you're modeling a, a market that's supposed to be rational and make rational decisions. And the reality is these people aren't probably making rational decisions. Of course, uh, of course, they're not always making rational decisions. They're making tough decisions and they do have a criteria, I believe that they're deciding based on. And what I'm trying to do is get a better idea of how much they value a team being in you know, Power 5 conference, how much they value winning a conference championship. What do they value a good win uh, as opposed to um, or a bad loss? Well, actually, those are very different. But basically, would you rather have a team that played a bunch of tough games and maybe had a, a um, loss to some quality opponents or a team that played a bunch of easier games and won those. So that, I mean, those kinds of things we can sort of tease out because we do have three years of this, which isn't a ton, but we do have ratings rankings every week and the rankings do go one to 25. So it's not just about looking at those top four teams. It's about looking at everybody. And from that, we can kind of glean some information about how these people do make their decisions. Okay, quickly so, in 30 seconds, tell us what you're doing. Okay, so I'm trying. We created, Kate and I created this metric called uh, strength of resume, which basically is the number of surplus wins a team has in relation um, to how many games an average top 25 team would be expected to win against that team's schedule, taking home field advantage and buys into consideration. So, for example, um, Alabama might have. I think they're number one, like 1.5 surplus wins. So one meaning that the average top 25 team would have won one and a half fewer games in Alabama playing that schedule. Now it's agnostic as to which games a team won or lost, meaning if Ohio State had beaten Oklahoma and lost to Indiana, their uh, their strength of uh, resume would be the same. But I we break it into a wins a strength of resume for the wins and strength for the losses component. And so we found that wins are more important. So beating good teams is more important than which teams you lose to. And basically, we I scraped the previous committee rankings, not just the final week of the season, but every week that they came out and um, basically tried to fit the, these this new metric along with you know how many losses a team has and the Massey Peabody predictive rating as well as like something for if you're in a power five conference and if you want a conference championship, I think you're 30 seconds. I I think think so too. But anyway, modeling the human decision-making behavior of the committee. And I'm pretty happy with it. Okay. So based on that, you know, last week your four teams in were Alabama, Miami, um, Ohio state and Oklahoma. So who would they be now? If the season ended today, they would be right now Alabama, Georgia, TCU, and Miami. However, that is not who I think that they will be at the end of the season. That's who I think the committee would, my model says the committee would have selected now. Now, for the end of the season, the the modal end of season outcome would be Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and TCU. And there's a 5% chance that that exact combination occurs. What do you got, Jeff? Do you think there's, well, I don't know if mine's changed. I still think... It's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and then I like Georgia. 
I also, I don't know. I like the Notre Dame story. Um, their their schedules gnarly, obviously. Um, but I'm probably going to go see that game with my dad, the last game against Stanford. So I'm definitely hoping that they make it there, and that's for a, a bid to the to the national championship. So my dad is a Notre Dame alum. For all of you out there, that I'm sure you guys really care. Um, well, so then, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how the committee will treat Notre Dame because it is not a Power Five school, but it plays basically a Power Five schedule. In fact, the fifth hardest yeah. schedule in, in the country. Yeah, they won't I mean, have that extra I, game. That's again. This is like one of the reasons, and I didn't want to keep poking holes at your sort of model, but this is one of the reasons that I think it's hard to model because Notre Dame is an outlier. You know, that there's all these sort of outliers in this that we can start talking about. Um, I applaud you for trying to do this. Like, I I don't want to like discourage you from doing this, and and I'm I you know I think you're doing something that's super hard and super interesting. Um, but it's you know, and again, this is one of those times where do you just do this and and just you know throw your hands up in the air and say like oh I, there's no way we can do this or do you try to do something and and do interesting work and I'm I applaud you for doing interesting work but well and I think you know, you're this saying is the that, sorry no go ahead no I think this is the interesting part of of what I do and what we do I guess it it's there is an art to this. It's not all science. It's about how you approach something and how you think creatively about it. And that's kind of the fun of it. I really believe that. And, you know, if you're like modeling proposition bets or something like that, you might be trying to figure out how a team like the Giants are going to throw the ball without a bunch of wide receivers. Now, there's, of course, going to be a lot of art into that. You're going to decide, well, do we think that all those catches that would have gone to the wide receivers are going to go to um, you know, tight ends and running backs or, you know, a certain percentage of them. Is the team going to run the ball more? And you can go, you can sort of, you're never going to be able to answer that question precisely, but you can sort of look at similar instances and you can look at data to give you some guidance on it. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Okay, so moving on to the futures then, do you see value in TCU? I, I actually still don't. I, I make them um, only 32 to 1. They're while they're more likely to make the playoff overall than than Oklahoma, they're still a little bit less likely to win because they are a worse team. So if they do get in, if Oklahoma gets into the playoff, they're a lot more dangerous. Is this? But isn't this a case of sort of that dynamic uncertainty that you were talking about? If TCU makes the playoffs and has beaten Oklahoma, wouldn't that mean they are a better team at that point? Uh, yes, for sure. However. TCU, well, Oklahoma already has one loss, so if Oklahoma makes it, they will have run the table to make it, whereas if TCU makes it, they can still theoretically make it with one loss. Not likely, though, right? Well, I mean, they lose to Oklahoma. Let's say, you're right. I mean, it's, it isn't that likely, um, but it's still pretty. It's still possible. I don't, I don't have the number in front of me what the probability they make it with one loss is, but... All right, with that, I like TCU at 32 to 1. Are you going to book it? You would take TCU at 32 to 1. What's the market at? That that's what your market value is. So I guess that that's what oh, your yeah. value is. So I guess that's not unfair. Well, I'll tell you who um, the biggest the biggest winner in the new methodology, the new um system is Alabama who goes up to practically even money to win the national championship and like almost 95% to make the playoff. And actually that's kind of in line with what the market is. Right now I'm seeing minus 110 for Alabama futures. So in a way, my maybe you know the modeling actually has my numbers much more in line with the market 
at least with these sort of top teams. So bouncing over to the where we see value in college this week, um, last week I think we were pretty mediocre, around 500. Um, this week there's some interesting games. Obviously, um, Oklahoma playing Texas Tech, uh, a 20-point favorite right now. We seem to be um, always against Texas Tech. You like Oklahoma minus the 20 there? I do. I think they're just a far superior team. Um, I would I would make the line 26. Nice. So six points of value there. My guess is that will go up. Um, and if it crosses that 21 threshold, would you still like them? Uh, I would, not as much, but I think I got it at minus 19. So I'm not going to have to make that decision. Nobody cares where you got it. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Ohio State playing Penn State. The, the narrative is how the hell is Penn State getting seven points? It's down to six and a half. Um, what do your numbers say there? It says it should be 13. And the funny thing here is that um, this is an example of like Ohio State does not have the good looking resume. In fact, 80% of um, top, tw- aver- well, the average top 25 team would have an 80% chance of of winning the games Ohio State uh, won or having at least like winning all but one game. But Ohio, Ohio State does have that one loss to Oklahoma. But aside from that, they've played a bunch of mediocre teams, but they've beaten them resoundingly. They just haven't been tested yet. And Penn State like played really well last week, but they also played against a way overrated Michigan team that has been ended up being what we thought they would be and not what the market thought. So you think Ohio State's a little underrated, Penn State's a little overrated, hence the line should be much higher than six and a half, and you love Ohio State there. Exactly. Um, Right now, it's Alabama and Ohio State at the top and basically a massive gap. Okay. Oregon, the team without a quarterback, a team that continues to get bet um, but continues to not cover. We liked them last week against UCLA getting – Seven points. It went down to six at game time. They're now getting three and a half at home against Utah. You like Oregon again? I did. That that line's already actually moved down from four and a half, but I think that Oregon should be a favorite here. Well, it's likely moved down because you bet it. So it's like <laughs> a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, no and, then, and then there's a few more games, obviously. Uh, SC, an injury-riddled team. At Arizona State, you like them at minus three. I assume right. that and some of that is because of the market's pricing and injuries that you're not. I think so. Although, what is it? Their defensive line that's really banged up. But I think that there's enough value that I'm okay with. I think the, you know, I don't think my, my numbers say it should be minus 10, but um, I don't think it necessarily is truly minus 10 given the injuries, but I don't think it's minus three either. So I'll take that minus three. And then Florida State playing on Friday night, I think, against BC. Um, at BC, BC's been relatively impressive lately. A uh, big win over Louisville. Florida State is obviously, people think they've probably given up on the season. So there's a ton of value there, minus three. Right, but uh, Florida State's still a really good team. People don't realize that, I don't think, just because they've, I mean, they've lost by three to Louisville, by four to Miami, by six to NC State, and then by only 17 to Alabama, which given what Alabama has done since, doesn't look that bad, does it? No, I mean, they certainly have a lot of talent. I think that, again, the market is pricing in things that we don't typically price in, which is like maybe a lack of motivation. But, you know, Jimbo Fisher has gone on record saying, like, how are you going to – like, people ask him, how are you going to motivate these guys? And he tells these guys, do you want to play in the NFL? 
like do you, if you want to play in the NFL, you got to keep playing every week and you want to win. So he's like motivating them by self-motivating them. Um, obviously their you know season is 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 done in terms of being like they, they might even have to worry about being bowl eligible at this point. Um, finally, an SEC matchup of two marquee SEC teams. Um, just kidding. Tennessee at Kentucky. You like the Volunteers, even though you know the 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 story here is that they are they've quit on they've quit on Butch on Butch. Yeah, and that's one thing that I don't price in either. But I do think that the market would markets tend to overreact and to these sort of perceived uh, motivational narratives. All right, let's move quickly over to the NFL futures. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on these because there's not that much interesting to say. But we we had Philly, I don't know, maybe like three weeks ago at like you were saying at like plus two twenty five hundred or twenty five to one for the Super Bowl. Now they're plus seven hundred. I assume that all the value there is gone. Yeah, yeah, it's I, I make them plus eight ten, so nothing there. Are you seeing any value on any of the other teams? I am, and it's kind of funny where it comes from. It comes from the top. Before, we haven't seen any value really uh, with the top NFL teams. Right now, I see I see some value on the Patriots, actually, surprisingly. I make them plus 350. You can get plus 390 out there. Um, and the Steelers, at plus 750, I make it plus 680. Those are the NFL's two best teams. Both have all but wrapped up their divisions. Steelers are 88% to win the division. Pats are 87%. And both have easy schedules left. The Pats have the fourth easiest. The Steelers have the eighth easiest. Um, and one other uh, sort of big name team that I like is the Seahawks at plus 975. I make them plus 812. Once again, I mean, they have a two-thirds chance of winning the NFC West. They're about two and a half points better than the Rams on a neutral field. And they play a schedule that's close to a point easier per game. So, yeah, it's sort of a reversal of previous weeks where I kind of liked the big dogs. It's interesting because you say the Chiefs outplayed Oakland last week, even though Oakland won and Oakland obviously covered. Um, but like looking at your your, your numbers, you, you now only have them as the fourth rated team, huh? Yeah, yeah. They still fell a little bit in the ratings. Um, they did outperform Oakland, but they had the seventh best performance of the weekend. And you know what? They would have played that that. Score differential would have been right where the fundamentals, my fundamentals, showed it if uh, if Oakland had not scored that final touchdown. So it just goes to show how um, you know how uh, well it's seven points right there. One score, seven points. So yeah, got it. And then in terms of Philly, obviously the the narrative is they're kind of running away with the NFC. Who do you see as their biggest competition? But I'm guessing it would be Seattle based on what you've said so far. Right, right. I mean, and Philly's looking really good in the NFC East. They're 82% to win it, and they're the favorite. I have them as the favorite to come out of the NFC with the 24% chance. Seattle's second with the 21%. But uh, Seattle's, I still have Seattle as the better team. However, Philly's in a good position um, as they, with the better record. They're a game and a half better than Seattle. And Philly has already a 60% chance of locking up a first-round bye and a 38% chance of locking up the, the number one seed. All right, so let's move on to Touter Sharp this week. And actually this week, we're not going to be talking about a specific person in Touter Sharp. We're just going to be kind of talking a little bit about why we want to do this segment, which is actually like somewhat of a backdrop of, of why we're doing this podcast anyways. I think in our minds, and Rufus, you can correct me if, if you know, I don't want to totally speak for you, but in our minds, this industry is a little bit of a shady industry, especially as the media goes. 
because most of the people that have traditionally controlled the media are people that are selling picks. And because they're all selling picks, they don't want anyone to sort of expose the scam of selling picks. And so they don't really talk critically about each other. Um, certainly, uh, we want to talk about and fairly talk about and fairly critique people in the industry. And last week, we talked about Dr. Bob, who is obviously a big name in the industry. I would not call Dr. Bob a scammer. I would not call him someone that is you know, a shyster. But when we talk about tout or sharp, really for us, the idea of a tout is, is almost anyone that sells picks. So for us, it's going to be really hard for you or for a person who doesn't sell picks to not be a tout. Now, what we tried to do in that segment was examine Bob beyond the notion of him selling picks and talk a little bit about his methods. Um, and Bob responded to us you know, via email. We offered Bob a chance to come on the podcast and debate this um, you know, with us. He declined, but we did have some very you know, constructive back and forth with him on the concept. So the first thing that he attacked us for was this idea that, a, um, that he's not a tout, because by the de definition of a tout, it's you know someone that's like you know aggressively selling things or soliciting business and all that kind of stuff. And he's certainly right by the literal definition of a tout. He is not someone that does that. He's he's pretty, um, I would say, error in his marketing. And he you know he just sends some emails and that kind of thing. But this really you know highlights the reason that we think that selling picks is is folly, right? Because the minute that you start to sell picks, you become more concerned about actually making money and selling picks than you do necessarily off winning. And there are some moral hazards of selling picks where it's it's really hard to divorce yourself from the sort of toutish behavior that you have to have when you sell picks. Um, I mean, you don't really fundamentally believe that um, selling picks is like obviously a good thing for any gambler, correct? Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's a way to make it. It's it's a way to make a living for some people, but I just think it's it's an ecosystem that rewards people who don't win. If you don't win, you're not moving lines. Your clients are all getting the lines you release, and you can. I mean, it's about marketing. If you're a winning, if you're a tout that actually provides good information, you're and you're a winner. You will have big syndicates that bet um, based off of your stuff, and you'll have. You'll actually, you'll have a lot of these syndicates that probably have bots execute plays right when the lines are sent so that so the lines will move and most of the clients, most of the Tau's clients will end up getting worse prices. And it's hard enough to beat the market, but when you're getting a point or half a point worse than what um, what the guy selling you picks is sending out, it's, it's even harder. And so I think yeah, it's sort of, you, you end up cannibalizing yourself. Well, we've talked about the idea that like, if you aren't getting the best line, i.e. you're getting a point, a point and a half worse, you're losing you know, anywhere from, say, 3 to 5% advantage um, in, in many cases. And, and you know, people are like, even the best bettors are not making bets that have, you know, like a 60%, 65%, you know, chance of winning. So you're most likely losing a lot of the value, even if you were a really tremendous um, handicapper. And, and I do think that's really like the, at the core of a lot of this, you know, because Dr. Bob does certainly move markets. And that was one of his things that he said, you know, he said like, Hey, I am a sharp because I move markets. And that is a fair, you know, statement by him, but because he moves markets, it's really hard for his clients to get 
the best number. And I know that in the past, he's done a lot to try to help alleviate that. You know, he does releases on his website that are timed and, you know, he doesn't do, you know, doesn't necessarily release on email because then you'd have to be over email. He, and he tells people specific times when he's going to release things, at least as this is what he did a few years ago. So he is very sensitive to that. And I understand that, but there's only so much that he can do where all of a sudden, you know, like that value is going to be gone unless you're sitting behind your computer refreshing and you can get money down right away. Um, it's just, it's, it is hard. Uh, the it second is. thing that he sort of, can I add something to that, Jeff? You know, yeah, I was absolutely. I was in you know in Las Vegas last January for Super Bowl stuff, and I got an email from a guy who said he wanted to buy me a drink, thanking me for doing all the Massey Peabody picks. And this guy told me he'd made a half over half a million dollars betting my picks, and he had a bot that automatically would um, it would scrape my picks and automatically bet them whenever they were were released. And so he was. I mean, it, I can only imagine people are doing that with with other winning people that are actually selling picks. So it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it'll move markets and it's sort of hurting the little guy. Yeah. And again, like the other thing that we're probably not even talking about is like, if you pay for picks and you're not betting that much money, that um, amount of money that you're paying now cuts into your, you know, your edge or your ability to win, obviously. Now, most people who are probably paying for picks and not betting that much are just doing this for recreational value. So, I mean, who's to criticize them? But I, I do think that's another thing to even think about is just the cost of the picks themselves. Um, the second thing that Bob didn't r really like, and I thought this was a really interesting discussion that the two of you guys got into, was this idea of, you know, cherry picking the last four years of, of college and saying that maybe he's not a winner anymore. Uh, he didn't think that was fair because he di you didn't allude to sort of the the bad luck that he's had, which is kind of detailed on his um, website in terms of past performance, the sort of fumble luck that he has um, suffered and some of the other sort of things that have made, you know, and, and he's still beating the market, etc. Um, your response, I thought, was interesting, not not just from a standpoint of, um, you know, you admitting that maybe it wasn't fair to sort of cherry pick. But the idea that this might be selection bias, you know, what are what are sort of the other things that you think beyond fumble luck that could cause someone um, to be unlucky that, you know, you would have to like if you wanted to go back and evaluate someone's picks and over time, like how would you do that fairly, I guess would be the question. Um, aside from looking at line value and things like that. Yeah. Fumble luck is a big thing as well as turnover luck in general, interceptions, um, potentially things like injuries, injuries. Um, Missed field goals. Red Any, zone efficiency. Yeah. Red zone efficiency. That's that's one I think I, I quoted. Third yeah, down they, conversion being like higher than normal. Right. Right. And the thing is, I'm not saying that he was lucky or unlucky. I, I, I'm, In fact, I'm pretty confident that he was um, unlucky. So I don't think he was, um, you know, I don't think he's trying to deceive anybody. But I do think just because he provides that particular statistic doesn't mean there's other ones and there are other areas where he was lucky. There's definitely a selection bias there. Well, and the selection and, bias is classic, right? Because every time I complain to you about getting unlucky in games, you always laugh at me. Like I'm like, I talk about getting unlucky in one run or are you just, you know, being a whiny little bitch about being unlucky. Are you really being unlucky? And I think that's fair. You know, like we always tend to remember, um, the narrative, like the concept of selection bias or, or even confirmation bias is the idea of remembering things 
that uh, support a narrative that we have or that we want to have. And that narrative is that I'm getting unlucky. So I'm going to remember all the one run games or all the, you know, extra inning games that I lost in baseball and not necessarily do it unless, unless I'm actually tracking it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do like that. Dr. Bob actually tracks that stuff. He says he keeps very detailed records and he has for decades. And so he can actually go back and sort of look and put things in historical context. And then, um, he didn't like our dismissal of his situational work. And this was sort of more geared at me. Um, again, like this is a couple, there's a couple of reasons that I don't like the situational stuff. One, I think that, um, markets tend to change over time. And then anything that you're basing on a market, um, you have that sort of challenge of stationarity, which is saying, is this, is the sort of sample size or is the distribution that you're looking at? Is it consistent over time? Is, is what, the market was doing 10 years ago the same as what the market's doing now. So is that trend really relevant? Um, and I know that these aren't just trends. These are these are big data sets that he's looking at, and, and I get that, and they're statistically significant, and I get that, and et cetera. Um, but but I, I do think that's challenging. And then the one thing in, in my work at Twitter, we spent a lot of time looking at um, causality versus correlation. And with out doing like experimentation or complicated things like propensity analysis, it's really hard to understand causation. Um, and, and a lot of these things he's doing are just correlations, which in themselves are, are weak and, and can be folly. Um, you, your thoughts, I know, are more around the concept of doing things against the market, correct? Right. And that, uh, to echo what you said, markets do change. And so if you have a situation that is against the spread, if some you know, uh, some situation, you know, teams have covered 67% of the time over 200 games. That sounds strong, but markets change. And, you know, there's a lot of data mining too. And, and to be fair, Dr. Bob said that he uses things that are very, that are simpler rather than, you know, rather than having a ton of different criteria that have to be met. Like when people say, oh, you know, favorites who've won back-to-back games and by 15 or more points when scoring at least 13 points in the second half are 77% against the spread. I mean, that's obviously just data mining. Um, so he, I don't think he does that, but um, he looks at things that do have a, or what he thinks have a legitimate reason and a rationale behind them. But my point basically is that if something does have a rationale behind it, and why don't you, you should be able to fundamentally incorporate that into your model, such as, you know, example of is, west coast teams playing on the east coast i think that's been oft quoted that they do quite poorly and there is a reason and I, rather than saying oh those teams aren't going to cover the spread i'm going to say okay this is worth x amount of points and i'm going to say oh what i wonder what about other travel like how you know is two time zones worth anything is is it about the miles traveled you know time of day like you can explore that stuff and try to actually um to quantify it and into um, and put it into your model, your predictive model. And um, yeah, we had a good discussion about that, though. Yeah, and and finally, I you don't really think he insulted us, but I, I think it's just funny as sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing. He mentioned, you know, like no one would want to, uh, you wouldn't really want someone to judge you based on your one year um, giving picks on ESPN as a bad gambler, um, and you wouldn't want people to say that you were had lost your touch. Um, and I, and I actually don't think you'd care. Like I, 
I think that you have enough confidence in what you do, and you also have enough humility in that bad year to understand. Like I know at the beginning of this year, we were talking about last year and saying like maybe it was an anomaly, and you were like, well, I hope it was because I did really poorly last year, and I'd like to think it was an anomaly. So I mean, there was some level of humility um, that that I think that that you showed. Like I mean, is that would that really bother you if someone said you were a bad gambler because of one year of bad of bad results in the NFL? Well, I wouldn't really, if they said it just because of that, I wouldn't really respect that. Simply put, it's a small sample size. Now, if you said I'm down, you know, over the course of however many bets quite a lot, you know, I'm actually, I'm down right now for this football season and, um, which I don't think I've ever been at this point. And it's not, and just with all the different kinds of bets I'm, I'm placing. Um, but yes, that causes me to, um, go back and audit things carefully and make sure that, you know, the in-game scraper is working properly and all that stuff. But it's, I'm still not, I've done this long enough to know that crazy things happen in short periods of time. And yeah. But at the end of the day, you, at the end of the day, you don't really care what other people say because ultimately your proof is on the field. It's, it's what you bet and it's your P and L. So if you continue to lose, you're not going to, you know, try to tell people that you're getting unlucky, you're going to try to figure out how to win. And that's that's sort of the difference between pick selling and not and and betting is that the only person that you need to like actually speak to is is yourself and your PL. And it's not necessarily the people that you're selling picks to. Um, for me, right. like go ahead. No, I was gonna say I think we all, I mean we're doing a podcast. Like I think we all like when people respect us and the work we do. But that doesn't that's doesn't define whether I'm successful or not. Right. And that's kind of honestly like when he he made us point to me that like, well, how would I feel if someone called me an overrated gambler who's living on past successes? And I kind of joke, but I'm kind of serious. That's that's somewhat true. Right. Like, I mean, Blackjack, the way that we did it, card counting, tons of people have done it. And certainly it's like a well-known thing. It's an efficient you know, it's it's a it's a very easy thing to do. I could teach anyone how to count cards in like probably a couple hours. It would just take them practicing it a lot after that to become good at it. And there were lots of people that did it. I mean, I just was lucky enough to have a guy, Ben Meswick, write a book about it and a guy, Kevin Spacey, want to turn it into a movie that made the story, you know, come to life. Um, and and certainly a lot of the reason that people still talk to me is because of that success that I had in doing that or that story and that narrative. So I don't actually think it would be uh, that uh, un- inaccurate for someone to say that I was an overrated gambler who's living on past successes. So, well, I, I mean, you've yeah, you had a lucky break, but so have a lot of successful people, myself included. I think if, if I think it was something, it, it's like an eighteen parlay basically that had to hit for me to be in this industry. I had to, you know, um, read an article on ESPN.com, pester Kenny White at Las Vegas Sports Consultants like for a year about an internship and then meet people that had money and were willing to uh, kind of bet on on me when I lived in Vegas. You know, it's so many random chance occurrences had to occur for for me to be doing what I am for a living. And I think the same could be said for a lot of people. Yeah, so certainly the same. To... Sorry. Certainly the same could be said for me. I mean, it's it's honestly just one of those things that like I, you know, I feel lucky to be where I am. And I, I definitely respect 
the fact that like I have gotten lucky and there is like this narrative that, that I have been lucky to be a part of. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is that like, I, I think, you know, as, as we, hopefully as we continue to do this, that people do not take what we're saying personally, they do not take things so seriously. This is hopefully a way to raise the conversation around sports betting and to talk a little about people's methods and to sort of hopefully help people think critically about what they're doing in the industry and how they're making bets. Um, for me, there is there is sort of like a final uh, clarification that I wanted to make uh, based on something I'd said on the pod. I think last week um, I, I represented Gil Alexander, who hosts um, the VEASAN show, The Numbers Game, which is um, one of the biggest you know sports betting podcasts there is right now. And I, and I did I did indicate that he said that there would be no analytics that would have told you to bet on the Giants two weeks ago against the Broncos. Um, this was definitely an exaggeration. He did not say that. I didn't really mean to exaggerate this. I just couldn't remember exactly what he said. What he said at the time was this sort of what he called a relatable humility about the NFL, um, where that outcome was so surprising that it was like an indication of not being able to know or predict the NFL at any level. And I think my point still is that, you know, when you are an analytics person or you're talking analytics, that was certainly a time or a situation to highlight that, you know, cause when we were on this podcast and you were talking about that game and you were saying that line should be four and a half and you were saying those injuries were overrated. I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, Rufus, um, maybe this is a place where your model breaks, but I didn't really say it. I mean, we, we kind of went back and forth and obviously the result doesn't prove anything. But at least that was an interesting thing where before the game, we highlighted there being value there. It sort of played out similarly to how we thought. They didn't pass the wide receivers. They made other things happen. Their defense played really well. They got some luck, et cetera. Um, but again, I, what I wanted to do was, was bring this up as an example of where analytics can sort of be contrarian or help you be contrarian. So that's all. I didn't mean to disparage Gil and all that and – I was just using that as a, a way to highlight somewhat of what mainstream media the story was. Okay, finally, man versus machine. Let's get to Let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So last week, uh, man was three, two, and one. So Man's I'm now six, three, now I'm six, three, and one over the machine. Woohoo! Machine's ready though. You, Machine's okay, ready for a got? big week. Okay. okay, Baltimore hosting Miami Thursday night. Machine oh. makes Baltimore a seven-point favorite. They're listed at minus three. Machine will oh, take God, the Ravens. God, you love Baltimore there, huh? I just don't like Miami with Matt Moore. Really? You know, yeah, it's... Yeah. All right, well, I, I, I can't take Miami there, so I'm, I'm on Baltimore. Next one. I, I, I hate... I, I mean, personally, I think that Matt Moore is a better quarterback than Jay Cutler, just... But my numbers don't say that. That's... Anyway, okay, onwards. Uh, Vikings uh, in London against the Browns, nine-point favorite. Machine makes it 9.6. Machine likes the Vikings. I'll take Cleveland. Okay. You, you've, been, you've been riding those big dogs, huh, man? Cody, Ke Cody Kessler. Okay, Saints hosting the Bears. Saints minus nine. Machine says minus 9.4. Machine reluctantly takes the Saints. Uh, I will take the Bears. The Saints with like a 50.3% chance of covering. Yeah, I'll take the uh, Bears. 
Okay. The Jets host the Falcons as a four-point underdog. Machine makes the Jets only a 3.7-point underdog. So Machine is on the Jets. Ugh. I'll I'll be with you. That's what's interesting is that line opened at seven. You know that and it's down to four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The Bucks hosting the Panthers. Bucks are a two-point favorite. Machine makes the Panthers a 0.4-point favorite. Machine's on the Panthers. I was figuring the machine. Like, I I don't know if this is just a narrative, but Luke Keekley seems to matter a lot to that team. Although, I guess, really, that team was fine last week defensively. Um, I'm going to take Carolina also. That I'm with you there. Okay. The Eagles hosting the Niners. Minus 12 and a half. Machine makes it minus 15 and a half. Machine is on the big favorite. <laughs> I'll take, I'll be with the machine. Ooh, I, don't want, you are. I, don't want, I don't want anything to do with San Francisco right uh-huh. now. Which probably means there's value on San Francisco. Anyways. <laughs> okay, Bills minus two and a half against Oakland. Uh, machine makes it minus 1.2. So Machine is on Oakland. Machine is on Oakland. Um, yeah, I like Oakland there. Okay, Bengals minus 10 and a half against the Colts. Machine makes it minus 13. Machine, unfortunately, is on the Bengals. I like the Bengals also. I just, I, I really think this indie. I was last week. I ended up taking Jacksonville and Survivor because I just didn't think they could score against. I didn't think Indy could score against Jacksonville, and, and that proved to be pretty true. Yeah. Okay. The Patriots. It's either minus seven. It's between seven and seven and a half. Hosting the Chargers. Uh, machine makes that minus thirteen. So machine is huge on the Pats. Yeah, I, I already. I'm. I like the Pats also. Okay, the Seahawks minus five and a half against the Texans. Machine makes it minus five point five two. So what do I do here? Is this just we throw this game out? Well, I like Seattle also there, so I don't think it matters. Okay, like fifty point zero zero one percent chance of covering, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Redskins a two point dog hosting Dallas. Machine makes the Redskins a two point three point favorite. Yeah, I actually love the Redskins there. Like, love them. Like, want to marry them. Uh, me too. You know, you know the, my, my numbers actually said the Redskins played a better game fundamentally than the Eagles despite losing by double digits. Kind of crazy, yeah. huh? I mean, that game was weird, even though it ended up looking kind of like a blowout at the end. I mean, you had some crazy-ass third-down conversions by Carson Wentz. So He's amazing. And a few big plays, amazing. too. A few big plays he's, turned the tide. He's amazing. Okay. Next. Next. Lions are a three, two and a half or three point dog, sort of in between. Um, at home against the Steelers. Machine makes that line Steelers minus 3.2. So machines on the Steelers. We like, I like Detroit. So there's our, okay. there's our third. Our are, third. are we grading that at three or two and a half? It's three, I think, universally. Okay. Three plus money. Do I get my plus money? Sure. <laughs> I'll buy you a drink. I'll buy you a drink next time I see you, which I almost always do anyway. So that's true. You're like one of the most generous guys I know. Okay. Chiefs, last one. Chiefs, a seven point favorite against the Broncos. Machine makes it eight point seven. So machine is on the Chiefs. Huh. Oh God. I'm gonna take Denver. I'll take Denver just because I I feel like that 
there's it shouldn't be a full seven, but whatever. I'll take it Denver. Does feel that I don't way. like I don't love it, but I, I I'll take Denver. Well, I feel so like far, you know, anytime you get this narrative of like the ugly, 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 ugliness, you know, at some point there's value there. And the ugliness of Trevor Simeon and the last two Denver performances, I would think it will generate some value here on Denver. Can I just so. say that you were all over the Trevor Simeon being this improved good quarterback like a month ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, what do you want to say? I was wrong. I was very wrong. I was incredibly you could still wrong. be right. No, he looks he looks bad. I mean, I he looks could get better. He looks bad. Although, like, he's gotten some injuries at wide receiver that haven't helped, and but he looks bad. All right, super yeah, contest picks. We were bad. Speaking of bad, we were bad last week. We went one and four. Although I'd have to say, like, we did have line value in all of the four picks that we lost. I mean, I know that doesn't mean anything when you actually lose them, but we did have pretty significant line value in all four of those games that we lost, which were, um, I guess there were Green Bay, Seattle, um, Arizona, and what was the other one? Oh, Denver. Yeah. But here's so, the thing. They're for a contest, and those lines for the contest are put out earlier, so we don't actually... Everybody could have had that line value if they wanted and waited. However, we don't have that yeah. luxury since we're recording this yeah, podcast we do it on, on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. So before we even know the real lines, yeah. So I'm just yeah. trying to pat ourselves on the back and make ourselves feel better after <laughs> a wonderful performance. All right, let's let's quickly do ours. Um, I think it's probably pretty clear that we want Washington. We both want okay, Washington. That's yours. Yeah, uh, I'll take. Uh, I'll take New England. Uh, I was going to say that that's pretty clear that you'll take New England. Um, I will take, I will take Carolina. I'll take Carolina. Okay. I will take Philadelphia. Okay. And then, gosh, this is, this is our, what do you think of Cincy? Does that just sound, it sounds too awful. We have to take it. I mean, we haven't done particularly well taking big favorites. I'm just saying. Are you gonna, I don't know if we should zig when other people are zagging, but maybe we're due. I'm, I'm using air quotes right now. Um. All right, we can take Cincy. I mean, the other, the other two that I kind of like are Seattle and Pitt and Detroit, but you don't like Detroit, so um, let's go with. We can go with Cincy. That's fine. You, you know who we're not taking which is a big surprise, the Jets. We stopped taking them. The market has finally realized that they're not as bad as people thought or people thought they were. <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back right now. Yeah, no. I, well, I think the fact that you went over the three wins and, you know, four hopefully and a half that'll cash. It was four and a half? I think so. Plus money, probably. It must have been plus Maybe a four. lot of money. It, it, definitely, it definitely wasn't three wins. No place had three wins. No place That's is going to have three wins on any NFL team. I don't bet total like over under like futures future wins or whatever, so I don't really know. I, I haven't really paid attention to it, but I'd heard on some podcasts that it was three, and maybe these podcasts are completely inaccurate. So maybe Bovada had three. Who knows? And they're for their square lines, probably. <laughs> okay, finally, um, Survivor. Uh, I went with Jacksonville last week, um, and. You know, there were only about nine people left in my pool, which is a pretty big pool. 
And a lot of people had had Tennessee, so I was, I was hoping for Tennessee, but that didn't pan out. Um, so on to this week, uh, there's a lot of potentially big teams to bet on. Um, you have Philly, Cincinnati, New England, New Orleans, and KC. Um, in terms of future value, I think that's one of the things that you're going to want to look at a lot this week. Um, Philly has a fair amount of future value. New England obviously has a, a lot of future value. KC has some of the most future value of any team. So I think for me, there's probably three teams that you'd look at this week. Cincy against Indy, uh, Minnesota against Cleveland in London, um, and potentially New Orleans with Chicago. Um, I I think I'm going to go with um, Cincy against Indy this week. You have any thoughts there? Um, I, I would I would like that myself, except I think I lost week one on Cincinnati, so I'm, I'm ineligible for everything. Ineligible for life. Ineligible um, for life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So thanks again for joining us on the Bet the Process podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll do a bit better this week. And as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you, brought to you by uh, the Sports Action um, app, which is the best way for gamblers to track their their bets and their lines etc um rufus say bye from prague bye from prague all right see you guys